Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, proudly part of the Believe Podcast Network. And each episode will be covering 90s, 2000s, film, TV, and pop culture. I'm not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. Thank you to Weedis for the intro music. Speaking of Weedis, next week, we'll be joined by the lead singer of the band, Brendan Brown, for what I think was an amazing episode, describing something I have never heard of in music before. Really unprecedented territory for the band. You will just have to tune in next week to see what I'm talking about. Not a bad teaser, right? Anyways, on this episode, we are joined by the voice of Jimmy Neutron, Debbie Derryberry, one of the most talented and prolific voice actors working today, who my listeners would of course know from her many voices on the Bill Burr animated series on Netflix, F is for Family. I'm going to go into a brief synopsis of Jimmy Neutron before we get to the interview. Feel free to fast forward if you're not that interested. The idea for a series about a boy with super genius powers was first conceived in the 80s by John Davis, who scripted and storyboarded a short narrative titled Runaway Rocket Boy, centered around a character named Johnny Quasar, who you're going to hear Debbie reference in the episode. The name Johnny Quasar was changed at the request of Nickelodeon, who did not want the character to be confused with similarly named characters such as Johnny Quest and Captain Quasar. These were already former media properties or video game properties that they did not want any sort of confusion with. So Davis brainstormed other character names while walking his dog actually around the neighborhood block, eventually coming up with the final name, Jimmy Neutron. It was originally just shot as a pilot just to be a TV animated series, but Nick executives were so impressed that they thought it would make a great theatrical film. And thus, Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, was born. 2001 animated film. It grossed over $100 million. One of my favorite movies at the time as I was just nine years old when that film came out. Given the success of the movie, Nickelodeon greenlit right away an animated series, The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, which ran for three seasons from 2002 to 2006. And only diehard fans would remember the Sheen spinoff, Planet Sheen, which only ran for one season. So let's get into my interview with the voice of Jimmy Neutron, Debbie Derryberry, but not before we play that classic intro music to Jimmy Neutron. Got a blast! Three, three, three two, two, one, one, one. Got a blast! Where do you live at? I live right in Westwood, right by UCLA. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. My son is um, applying right now. He's uh, He was at Irvine. He didn't like it, UC Irvine, so he, he went to Santa Barbara City because 
I, I went to UCLA, but they don't let you um, transfer horizontally anymore. Uh, you have to wait till year three. So he's applying for next fall. My point being okay. is, will you take a roommate? <laughs> Depending on how this podcast goes, maybe. Well, I'm kind of serious because he's, <laughs> uh, he's going to need a place to stay if he gets into UCLA, which I hope he does. Anyway. Yeah, I hope so too. So you grew up in uh, Indio, California, is that mm-hmm. correct? That's basically in the desert. Um, yeah, I grew up in, in the middle of the desert. Yep, yep. Hottest place. It was always like hot spot in the nation. Yeah, and so it's an easy transfer. I just went from Indio High School to UCLA. Done. Oh, wow. That's nice. And uh, before we get into Jimmy Neutron, which is, of course, while we're having you on, I want to go further back because I look at voice actors as kind of having like a superpower in a sense. And I kind of want to see, you know, when you were growing up, did you have a knack for voices? Were you mimicking characters that you saw on TV? Where did you discover this talent? Um, I actually, my first love is singing and really? playing guitar and writing songs and harmonies. So that was my thing, was playing my guitar and my singing partner. All, all through my life, I've had different singing partners and the harmonies are just make, what make me passionate and come alive. So, uh, when I finished college and I didn't want to go to med school, I was all set to go. And I'm like, no, I'm going to Nashville to be a country singer. <laughs> but the only jobs I got hired for were singing like a baby, mm. singing like a child. So um, I didn't know anything about voiceover. I knew about singing. I knew about acting. I had done stage acting. Um, so I guess it has to be singing and harmonies although my natural voice is more here. I took a lot of classes to get my voice down here so I can like play down here and, and talk to you down here in this normal register. Although this was where I, this is the easiest place for me to talk. This is pretty much what I sounded like my whole life. Having that voice growing up, were you embarrassed in a sense? Did it take you a while to kind of grow into your own voice? And you know, how did you ad- adapt to that as you went into adulthood? I never knew it was an issue. I never knew it sounded like a baby. I just, that was just me. I never really thought about it at all. I didn't think about being short. I'm 4'10". I I look right into people's eyes and I don't feel short and I don't feel like I talk funny. But um, I guess um, I notice as a voice teacher that most of my colleagues in voiceover who are successful are also singers. And I think it has to do with the gymnastics of your voice, being able to manipulate it, different pitches, tones, being able to hear line reads, being able to hear the melody in a line. So um, I forgot the question. <laughs> no, it's all right. You basically answered it. It was just growing into your voice. And, but uh, you're a very confident woman, which is, which is great. Uh, so I'm curious, so you went to UCLA. You're going to become a doctor. I think you're pre-med. So how did that decision come about where you're like, okay, I'm not going to pursue medicine. I'm going to go down this crazy path and move to Nashville. See, it didn't seem crazy to me. It just, I just assumed I'd always go to med school. I never really thought about anything else. But then when it came, push came to shove, I was like, no, I can't do that for the next four years, five years, six years, seven years. I must go sing. (laughs) I wasn't happy. And a friend of mine just said, "Uh, you got to go to Nashville. And I thought, okay. Here I go. And I asked another friend and he encouraged me and there I went. I packed up, I left, spent three years in Nashville and a lot happened in Nashville. 
And how was that transition? How did you get introduced to voice acting? You know, you kind of run through the doors when they open. And I was my agent. I had an on-camera agent who submitted me for silly things like Christmas elves. I was a Kroger Christmas elf for a while. Hmm. Um, she said, did I want to stand in for uh, the boys on this movie, uh, Ernest, Goes to, uh, Ernest Goes to Camp? Uh, which is like an old Jim Barney oh, yeah. movie. I don't know if you remember it, yeah. but you know the principal actors uh, can't be bothered to stand for their lighting. Hmm. So they get people who have the same coloring and body size to stand for the lighting. And so I said, okay, beats a day waiting tables. <laughs> so uh, one of the mothers of the boys on the set said, you should do cartoon voices. And her son in the movie is Scotty Menville, who's also a very successful voice artist here in LA now. But I knew him when he was 12 and I was body doubling him. And so <laughs> I, you know, we were in the forest. I took my little fancy typewriter into the forest because this is before cell phones. And um, it was cool because it let you backspace over your mistakes because there was no word perfect. There was no, <laughs> you know, pages. Was, yeah. You could backspace over the mistakes, which was so cool. So I wrote letters to the people she told me to write to. I sent my a cassette I had of me doing a couple jingles and a couple little fake commercials I did. And they wrote uh, back and said, good demo, but you don't live here. So <laughs> when you move back, let us know. So I was like, all right, I got divorced, moved home. One of them walked me into a big agency. The minute I got back to LA and they signed me and that was 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago. And I've been working ever since. Wow. It was like, I did what I wanted to do and pursued my passion. And then this is pretty much in line with what I love to do. Feels like singing to me. Yeah. Although I still sing, I still have my country band and I still, you know, my husband plays bass and we can't really be around other people, but we jam. <laughs> No, that's an incredible journey and really 30 years in the making. I'm so curious, how do you go about creating a character? Because I imagine maybe you get a script, but how do you go about saying, okay, what is the age of this character? What is the, you know, the gender? What part of the country are they from? I get asked that question a lot. And I, um, I actually wrote a book, VoiceOver 101, How to Succeed as a Voice Actor. And I tried to break it down. How do I create these characters? And <clears throat> there's a few ways. Uh, channeling is one way. And that's where you sort of find somebody that you can mimic, like your mom or the barista at Starbucks or, you know, copy them. Oh, wait, I have to burp. Uh, that was a good one. Not really. I try not to hold in my burps because sometimes you need them for recording. <laughs> um, channeling. Uh, accents. Um you know, depending on which ones you can realistically do or convincingly do or make up your own accent. Um, speech impediments, braces, lisping, uh, dropped R, dropped L's, um, age, attitude. All these things can be combined to make a character. For instance, um, if you're, if I have a, a typical teenage uh, girl. Hi, no mom. I am so not going to the party with you. But then maybe she has braces. Yeah, no, mom. I am so not going to the party with you. Okay, maybe she's from the South. Yeah, no, mom. I am so not going to the party with you. No. Or maybe she's shy and all that. Um, no, mom. I am so not going to the party with you. 
So you see how all those layers kind of come together and help you create a character. And I do that with ages baby to ancient grannies in accents from New York to the South to, you know, England and Australia and California and surfers and just all kinds of things you can layer in there. That's honestly, you've, you've made my day. That is just incredible. And this is why I say that I think voiceover actors have a sort of superpower. You listen to people like yourself and Nick Kroll and Seth MacFarlane do these voices and they're so different and so distinct. You'd almost not even realize that they're being done by the same person. That's how you're able to sort of differentiate your voices. And I think it's just incredible. I mean, it, there are, it's, it's an acting job also. Those are the technical ways I do it. Yeah. But you also have to have these acting skills or it's not going to happen. Yeah, no, you're right. That's that's just step one, right? It's just building the voice of the character. Yeah, I'm just giving you technical ways of, you know, put it, nailing the bench together. But you still have to be a qualified carpenter. You know, you have <laughs> to know how to use a hammer. <laughs> so when you got this script for Jimmy Neutron, how did you go about that? And I'm curious how that kind of came to be in terms of what the casting process for that was like. You don't really get a script. You get um, mm. a page of copy with some lines. They don't usually share the whole story with you. Even today, uh, video games, you only get your pieces. For Jimmy Neutron or Johnny Quasar, as it was, uh, it was just an interstitial. It was just like any other audition. And back then we didn't have cell phones and home studios. So they sent me to Bell Sound and I signed in with all the other women playing little boys. Um, you know, and they were all the, the same regular ones we have now, and Nancy Cartwright, and Ichi Daly, and Chris Kavanaugh, and Pammy Adlin, you know, all the women who do little kids' voices. And um, I thought, those women all have texture. You know that gravelly kind of thing they do? Well, I don't really have texture. It, I, I can make it, but sometimes it can be damaging. So I went in and I did my best little boy voice that I could. I was very uh, uncomfortable doing little boys' voices back then because I was more proficient or more confident with little girl voices. I pretty much only did little kid voices, little girls. I was uncomfortable doing a grown-up voice. Uh, animals, babies, ancients, it just was still new to me. So I was surprised when they cast me for Jimmy Newt, for Johnny Quasar, and it wasn't a series or a movie. It was just a little seven-minute thing. But when they showed me the final product, I was like, this is really good. So then they said, well, it's so good, we're going to make a feature. And that was very exciting, especially nowadays, you know, us rank and file voice actors don't have um, opportunity to star in an animated feature because we don't receive those auditions. They go to on-camera celebrities. Um, we have access to maybe the BC roles or the specialty roles that only VO people can do. So that was super exciting. And then there was a series, you know, they don't, it's not like you get a script and go, Oh, this is going to be an icon. I'm going to do it. You never know. It's, it's all just throwing stuff at the fan. It just, it just happened to go. I was just lucky. No, I, it was great. I mean, I did what I did, but it would have been nothing without amazing scripts, directors, idea hunters, you know, everybody, the rest of the cast. Oh, sure. I was nine years old when that movie came out in theaters and it literally really? changed my life. 
you know, so my nine-year-old Seth right now is freaking out talking to you. And I see the Jimmy Neutron stuffed toy in the background right there on the couch. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of people forget that the movie came out before the series, you know, and the movie grossed over a hundred million dollars. Yeah. It was a very successful, uh, um, kind of benchmark and they started doing the features first, realizing that if they can lay the blanket on the audience, then that audience will be there for the series. And this was a model that they then started using successfully. But Jimmy Neutron was one of the first of its kind to do that. I think it was the very first. Did you know that the series was a possibility after the movie or no? Hold on, Debbie. Give me a minute to tell my listeners about Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24/7. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. Head to simplysafe.com/team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com/team. It feels good to fear less. And now, back to the show. They don't tell me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Could you have imagined how big Jimmy Neutron became, like in your wildest dreams? Oh, <laughs> who would know that? No. I mean, even today, I mean, you know, I, I have interviews all the time from people your age who are these um, successful, young and educated adults who were kids when Jimmy Neutron came out. And now I see them having families and, you know, um, reaching out and <laughs> sharing with me how much it meant to them. I know it meant a lot to me. I just have a few questions about just being a voice actor in general. And I'm curious, since obviously only people are hearing your voice, they may never know what you actually look like. Some of their most favorite characters, Bart Simpson, whatever it may be, they may never know the person's face. For you, does that give you a sense of anonymity? Would you prefer that everyone knew you, everyone knew your face on the side of a bus or something? Or does it give you a sense of, okay, I could go out in public, people are not reaching for me, they're not taking pictures of me. How do you balance that? It's so wonderful being a voice artist because, I mean, people do recognize me, but only because they've seen interviews or read my book or, you know, I, I do have kind of a presence online, but um, it's so awesome not being recognized. And, you know, I can change my voice so people won't know, or sometimes they'll say, you have a great voice. And I'll be like, thanks. It works. <laughs> but I would much rather be uh, anonymous and unidentifiable for sure. I see uh, some friends of mine who are recognized and you, you don't have a moment's peace and somebody's always filming you. You know, you can't get away with nothing. <laughs> that's true i think there's a certain humbleness that voice actors have would you agree absolutely and i will tell you why because we can be replaced and we pretty much work for scale on camera actors work for overscale it's called and it, it's a much higher wage based on their celeb status but those of us who do it day in and day out I've already turned in five auditions today. Um, wow. I mean, it, and I do all my other activities around that, <laughs> but it is my job, you know, eight to six every day. I am in this room. I am going in that sound booth with that little door that's open and I'm knocking out auditions and I'm scheduling interviews and scheduling jobs that I record in there now. So it, there's really no room for a big head or to 
get anywhere other than humble about it. And it is pretty much the greatest job on the planet. And I know it. And I'm grateful. You just, you can't get too cocky about this business. I'm lucky if someone hires me and I'm grateful. And I want to do a good job because I like it. It's what I do. I do voice work. I think that's the attitude to have. And especially now during coronavirus and all production is you know shut down animations the one thing that you can be doing right now in voiceover and yeah. you're in a good position in this economy and commercials you know um yeah anything voice people who do i mean there's so many genres of voiceover with uh, narration and e-learning yeah. and medical um reading and um commercial and promo and affiliate work um looping even though we can't go into the studio, you know, we're learning all these different tech secrets to loop from home or it's, we are really fortunate. And I, my heart breaks a lot for on-camera productions right now because they must be in the presence of other people to make that happen. And I'm, I'm so afraid of the climate that I'm really glad we can work from home and I don't have an answer for yeah for it, but I know I feel very sad for all the people out of work, whether they're on camera actors or any other job. It's it's a very sad situation. Yeah, no, it's a tough time. Um, what's the hardest thing to do without breaking a character? Is it laughing? Is it crying? Is it yelling? You know, as a voiceover actor, what's the toughest thing to stay in character with? Um, well, let me preface that by saying that when you're in your character, you book that part because you can take that character through every single emotion there is because you are that character, you know, not just these little tricks I've done to get that character, but there is a personality associated with it. So you are that character. But for me personally, what sometimes I have problems with is if I'm doing a character with a Latina accent. Um, I grew up in India, which is near Coachella, so um, uh, Spanish, Mexican Spanish is uh, what I was raised with, so that's in my head, but I worked really hard on my Russian accent as well, which I used in Draculaura. Sometimes my accents will uh, stray, like I'll start out speaking uh, with a Spanish or a Mexican accent, and it will become Russian. And um, I'll have to stop or that'll happen also with my Russian and my Irish. Sometimes they get a little too close to each other. And those are my personal challenges. I think also sometimes when I'm uh, projecting, uh, I struggle with staying. If I'm doing a mature voice, <clears throat> projecting sometimes makes that mature voice uh, go down in age. So I want to keep my screaming aged up, which is hard because as you uh, elevate your um, emotions, voices naturally tend to go up in pitch. So it's an exercise to keep it down in pitch when your emotion goes up. But I think the accents is probably the answer to your question. That's my <laughs> struggle. I think you're just showing me and my listeners how difficult it is being a voiceover actor. Cause I think a lot of people are just like, Oh yeah, just show me a script. I could just read it in a funny voice. And it's so much more nuanced than that. Oh yeah. It is an acting job and it's, <laughs> yeah. um, 
there's a lot of things that make it up, you know, a lot of study. I still study. Um, I coach people and teach people all the time. And I, I do have people who waltz in and think, I want to be a voice actor. I heard I could study with you. Okay. And when can I make my demo? Can I do it tomorrow? Hmm, not so much. And then once we get started, they'll realize there's a lot more to it. You know, maybe they didn't know they had dyslexia. Maybe they thought they were a good reader. Maybe they didn't know they had a, a regional accent. Maybe they didn't know they had a lisp. Or uh, I have one girl I'm working with who is embarrassed to uh, laugh and cry on a script in front of the microphone. And I'm like, that's a problem. We got to get over that. <laughs> and I want to help her get over it. But it's a acting. Um, it's acting training that will help you get through that. Yeah. Uh, is it possible to get typecast as a voiceover actor? And I mean, typecast in the sense that maybe, you know, people won't, won't see you as a live action, you know, actor or in the sense of you can only do certain types of voices. Does that happen? Absolutely. And I tell people and myself as well to sort of embrace your pigeonhole. You know, I can do any voice I want to, except for like yours, like boys older than 12 <laughs> years old. I can't really do them. But every other voice, I feel like I got this. So when Pete, when directors think like, oh my God, I this character needs to be cast ASAP, send it to Debbie because they know that I can do that little kid voice or they know I can do that dog or that cat. Those things that I specialize in and the casting directors who know me, they will think of me for that. And so I'll get those jobs. And if you look at my IMDb and if you see the jobs that I've been the parts I've been cast in, they're generally boys and girls, not, you know, Brienne of Tarth Knights. <laughs> they're not that, although I would like to do it. Sometimes they send me auditions for it and I just, I do the audition and then I'm like, right? Like they're going to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, for a, once in a while, they'll throw me a bone and I'll do a grown up, but it's fine with me. And I think it should be fine with, with any voice actor. If this is what you sound like, you got to embrace it. Love it. <laughs> I love that. I'm curious, has technology gotten to the point where, you know, you could just be talking in my normal voice and they could auto tune you to sound like anything. And is that an issue for voiceover actors at all? I'm just looking at it as from an outsider perspective. In, in my world that has happened when, um, they need something specific, but really that's a production question. They'll, it, it doesn't have anything to do with getting the job. Sometimes yeah. they'll say, um, we're going to tweak this anyway, but we still need to hear your acting. Gotcha. So like um, auditioning for any chipmunk type voices, you yeah. don't, I wouldn't audition in this range. They'd want you to audition in your normal voice so they could pitch it up. Gotcha. Yeah. So again, it's the acting first, then they could change the voice. Yeah. So my favorite episodes of Jimmy Neutron were the crossover episodes with Fairly Odd Parents. Oh, yeah. And seeing those Timmy Turner, Jimmy Neutron spinoff episodes were absolutely my favorite. Do you have any mm. memories of, of doing those? I know you're just doing the voice, but just even seeing the, you know, the CGI to 2D where they put the Jimmy Neutron character in the Fairly Odd Parents world and vice versa was just thrilling to watch as a kid. Um, well, when we made the episodes, of course, we don't see the animation. You do the voice first, yeah. and then it gets sent off to animation. 
and then I watched it and you know it was very interesting seeing flat Jimmy <laughs> because yeah. I wasn't used to seeing flat Jimmy and um, you know Tara and I have been friends for decades before we even had kids so it was just you know another day at the office for me I mean my kids play with her kids my kid plays with her kids and we <laughs> Um, it was just fun to have a show where we did a crossover together. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it wasn't any different for me. It's just another working day. Sure. Yeah. That was the answer I was expecting. It's just for the audience watching it where it's the, yeah. you know, and such I'm, a new I'm thing. I'm really glad it had such a fun impact on so many people and having, I mean, the cartoons to me come from such different places, you know, fairly odd parents. It's kind of, you know, it's what it is. And Jimmy Neutron saw a little it's different. It's your nerd boy yeah. and his friends. So it's it was interesting to see how they were going to make those crossover, and hopefully they'll I don't know do something like that again or who knows. I hope so. Do you, Nancy Cartwright, Tara Strong, is there like a club of women who voice these you know male characters? Do you guys have a little club that you get you know meet up once a week or once a month? Or we no? do. We have a club, and we all get <laughs> together, and we you know have drinks, and we you know. Uh, dunk for apples. <laughs> no, <laughs> we just, um, you know, have all been in it for so long. And I, I respect all these women and I love them all. And it's a tight group. And I, I wish everybody the best at every audition. It's, it's not backstabbing at all, where I'm like, oh, I hope I get it. And she doesn't get it. I hope the best person for the job gets it. And we all get to audition for it. Um, I've had some lovely times with Nancy and, you know, E.G. and Tara and just, you know, Kari and, and Gray. We're just, we all kind of do the same thing and they're nice people. No, that's good to hear. I didn't want to hear any like backstabbing stories at auditions or something or, you know, keying somebody's car, or popping somebody's tire <laughs> to an audition. None of that. It's so that. not so that's like good. that in voiceover. <laughs> Everybody's pretty great. Yeah. You know, we all have our ups and downs, but, um, I just can't say enough about how great the people are in voiceover. So completely unrelated, but I found out that you may have voiced the aliens in the Toy Story movies. Is that true? Um, well, what I did on Toy Story is what's called looping. So after it's done, a group of you come in and do post-production on it. And they'll say, okay, we have these um, aliens in the gumball machine. Five of you get up and do some noises for that. So we did, you know, it was the, Pick me, pick me, you old claw. And those, some of those voices made it to the top of the extra voices. So yes, I voiced the aliens. <laughs> I also voiced, voiced the troll, but you never see the troll and he doesn't have any lines. It's just when they're all standing together and they're all saying things together, that was the one I was told to talk for, but you never hear them separately. Yeah. So yes, I did do that as well as the announcer voice in the Pizza Planet. And if you pause it, mm -hmm. you can hear, um, welcome to Pizza Planet. Welcome party of six, your pizza's ready. That. <laughs> and they actually came back to me 22 years after Toy Story. They said, uh, they asked the looping coordinator who did that voice because they wanted to bring it back as a, a, a voice on the ride for... Um, mm -hmm the Pizza Planet ride at Disneyland, which I haven't been to. And of course, I don't know if I'll get to see it because who yeah. knows when it'll open. 
But yeah, they remembered that all those years later. And I think it's somewhere in there. Keep your hands and arms inside the flying pizza or whatever it is. That's incredible. I love that authenticity right there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I have to ask about what you're doing right now on F is for Family and what an all-star cast to work with. Right? What do you have? Bill Burr, Laura Dern, Sam Rockwell, Justin Long. It's insane. I tell you, I've never seen any of them. (laughs) (laughs) I I saw Justin Long once. I see Bill all the time because he's always there because he's a writer on it. But yeah, my mom, Laura Dern, never seen her once. Sam Rockwell, <laughs> never seen him. Um, uh, Allison Jenny, never seen her. Um, <laughs> who else? Uh, I see Vince Vaughn sometimes because he's there. Uh, Jonathan Banks, haven't seen him yet. But you don't have to see people really in VO. I feel like I know them. Yeah. But it's uh, it's such a nice cast. And, you know, when I first went in, I'm like, I'm the only voice actor. God help me. But they pretty much all stepped up. I think they do a great job now. It's kind of learning. I don't know how many other voiceover auditions they've done in their past, but when I, uh, there was a Newsweek article not too many weeks ago and it was saying, you know, the, the top stars in the cast and I was on there and it was saying this person had one voiceover job. This is the first one for them. Um, this is, you know, like under 10 jobs and there I am with, and Debbie's done over 300 IMDb credits. (laughs) You're the seasoned veteran in that world, right? In the voiceover animation world. Um, There's a few others. Uh, Trevor Duvall, who is a chameleon. He's wonderful. As is um, Eileen Fogarty, who's also on camera. She is very talented and versatile. Mo Collins, amazing character skills. So um, there's some others. But uh, it's really super fun for me that they throw all these kids' voices at me. So I hope, I hope, hope we get season five pickup, which I haven't heard anything on it yet. I hope, hope that I get to meet all the people in person because I'm a little bit of a starstruck fan as well. (laughs) I would love to meet Laura Dern, although I'd probably come up to her waist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's tall. (laughs) She's tall. And, um... I get to do lots of these kid characters and they keep throwing them at me and it's really fun. And then when I watch it, cause I've watched all of them, I like the, I like the series. Yeah. Um, and it's funny to see how they put together me talking to me, talking to me. Like sometimes there'll <laughs> be three of me in one scene yeah. talking to each other. And that's where it comes, uh, becomes so important to be able to be that character to really identify with that character. So you don't go out of character and actually sound too much like the person you're talking to. I know it's crazy. You could watch an animated show like that and none of the actors have met each other or were in the recording studio together. It's completely, Mm -hmm. you know, you feel isolated in a sense. And there's, I guess there's no rap parties, right? On animated shows, you don't all get together as a cast, right? There are rap parties. Right now there's not rap parties. Our our season four launch, Mike Price, the producer, got us, uh, he zoomed us all in. There were about, I don't know, 65 of us. <laughs> and we all got to be on the Zoom gallery screen and watch the episode together. But yeah, they go all out for rap parties for voiceover. We've had some awesome parties. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure probably those stories may not be able to be shared on a podcast, maybe some of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you teach voiceover classes. And I kind of want to ask you a question about just nature versus nurture. And can you take somebody you know, with no prior experience, you know, voice acting, I'm, I'm getting at, you know, is some of this innate, you know, do you think that part of you that 
you know, you just had this talent as a kid and you nurtured it through years of training and, you know, as Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours to really perfect it. Or do you think, you know, somebody right off the street can be transformed into a prolific voiceover actor? Both. I mean, I, yeah. I have students who want it more than they wanted anything and have zero talent. And I, I, hmm. I struggle to, I can't, you don't want to tell someone that I hate to shatter someone's dreams if that's what they really want. We'll find a place for them. We'll find something that they can do in voiceover. Maybe they have trouble reading. I have one girl who loves it so much, but she had her reading skills are very poor. <clears throat> so it's tough to get the words off the page for her. So we have tricks. You know, maybe she would do short commercials. I have another kid who's adorable, but after two sentences, he gets too, ner too nervous to speak but he wants to do it and I will continue to nurture them and, and help people with their dreams. And then I have other people who come in without a lot of acting training and they just kill it. <laughs> you know, maybe that's just their one voice. It'll take years for them to develop other characters, but for now, maybe that one voice they have is the perfect voice for every single um, dub soap commercial out there you know, for every single jewelry yeah. commercial or every yogurt commercial or every, you know, sailing cruise commercial. <laughs> they have that vocal fry and they're just comfortable with it. So sometimes they waltz in and they'll just be a natural. It, everybody's different and I'm happy to nurture them for as long as their passion holds out. Uh, sometimes I have to bow out and redirect them to someone who can help them better. Some people, okay, they're just delusional. Yeah. Some people, it's just not going to happen. And yeah, uh, yeah I don't, I don't want to, you know, shatter anyone's hopes, but it's, it's a lot of work. Like with anything, I had a, a relative a few years ago who said, I'm just going to come to LA for the summer because I want to, you know, I'm going to audition for some sitcoms because I know I could do that. <laughs> oh, are you? <laughs> Can I just come out for the summer and do that? Because, you know, he skipped the spot, skipped, skipped the parts where you have to be a, in the union or you have to get an agent. And then there's the headshots and there's the acting classes and there's meeting the people. And there's so much more than just the dream. It's a lot yeah. of work. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of uh, millennials are probably feeling that where they want that immediate gratification. They mm -hmm. want to skip all the hard work and mm -hmm. jump right to the results. And they don't see the years and years of the process that gets yeah. you there. Exactly. It's very hard for um, millennials these days because they don't um, have the time to work on themselves because it's always interrupted by the device, by the phone. And it's sad to me. And I will, you know, tell my son, would you like me to hold your phone for the day? And after two hours, you know, he's like, oh, I need it. <laughs> and we all do. But I just don't think people have the, they don't have the forced time off to focus on their skill sets. And it's sad. Yeah. Uh, Debbie, I can't thank you enough for your time. I just wanted to end on five rapid fire questions if you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. Are there any TV shows you're currently binge watching? Yes. Um, don't laugh. Uh, Better Call Saul. I'm finally, oh, finally getting to it. Um, let me see. A couple others were binge watching. Ah. 
And we're going to go back. Apparently, I didn't see the last season of Handmaid's Tale, so I have to go back and watch that. Um, it's still super dark. Don't worry. Okay. So those are the two right now, and I'm looking for something really funny and easy to watch. That's, I was so sad when we finished Schitt's Creek. I want more Schitt's Creek. Yes, yes. Any uh, favorite restaurants in L.A.? Um, well, we've kind of gone vegan, so... Uh, we don't really go out. Okay, favorite restaurants. My personal kitchen, because I'm the best cook ever. Um, <laughs> for ambience, I like going to Musso and Frank's with my director friend and her husband because they're so much fun. Just the <laughs> whole ambience of it. I like um, something vegan in Toluca Lake. Um, when I was eating deep fried pork ribs, I loved <laughs> Hungry Crowd in Toluca Lake. The best deep fried pork ribs ever. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I'm, um, I'm just, I don't go out to eat a lot because I'm such a good cook. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's <laughs> impressive. And hopefully all these restaurants come back, right? Especially oh, during these times, you so. know, we can I only just, hope. I feel terrible for, you know, just like anybody who's out of work, the, the, the waiters and waitresses, the people, they, they were going to open the bars and then immediately shut them down. I was thinking all that prep work the owners did getting their order, get their ordered yeah. orders in, getting their staff all scheduled and then boom i get it they should close it's dangerous but there are people that need work so i can just hope for the best okay that was two rapid fires yes you have three more left these haven't been so rapid sorry uh who is your favorite voiceover actor besides yourself of course rob paulson i love rob so much he's such a fun person such a good-hearted person and so extremely talented. That man, I've seen him work for decades and I'm always blown away. Is there another character, cartoon character that you've seen that you were jealous of, that you were like, I wanted to voice that character, I could do a better job or any, any you know, either could be a movie character, animation, TV, any character that maybe you auditioned for, maybe you didn't, you just saw it, that you were like, oh my God, that would be a great role for me. Yeah, there's a lot of those, um, but I can't answer that question on, on air. <laughs> I, I think the people that got it, got it because that's the voice they wanted. And yes, of course, I wish those ones were me. But, you know, that's the nature of the business. And you can't think of not getting the job as rejection. You just move on. And if you love it, then every day is a joy. That's the, that's the PC answer. We'll, we'll take the PC answer on right. that one. Uh, last one, if Nickelodeon approached you about maybe reviving yes. Jimmy Neutron. Yes, I would in a heartbeat. I'm hoping every day that they decide to remake Jimmy Neutron. We're all still here. We all still want to do it. And it's such a great show. Agreed. Debbie, thank you so much for coming on the Relunchables podcast. Can you send us off with Jimmy Neutron? Sure. Let me think. 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 Brain blast! Oh, I got a blast! I would like to thank my guest, Debbie Derryberry, for joining the podcast. You can find her on Instagram. She's at Debbie Derryberry. Next week, we'll be joined by the lead singer of Weedus, Brendan Brown. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review. Five stars only. Until next time.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.